Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. So, I'm glad you came back after last Sunday. Or... Or you didn't know what I shared and you just weren't here, so you might be tricked, that's, that's all right. But uh, really appreciate all of you. Also appreciate, um, I'll mention this later too probably, but I appreciate disagreement even, you know. Um, we are gonna have differing opinions and different ideas and it's okay, it's okay. We wanna make sure that we are focusing on the main thing and have agreement on him, and that's Jesus. But there's a lot of other things we're not gonna agree on perfectly, and so I, I welcome, and you know, I think when you, when you read the disciples and their disagreements as they're walking with Jesus, it's so interesting, you know, from arguing about who's the best and the highest and the greatest, right? Uh, they just, they don't, they don't have it figured out. This is part of family, is not agreeing on everything and in talking about things and trying to figure these things out, and asking the Lord, and getting clarity from Him. So I want to continue today with um, part two, really, of essentials and non-essentials. I shared a little bit this last week that we don't talk about non-essentials a lot here. We like to focus on the essentials, on the most important things, on who God is and our relationship with Him. We're going to do a series here, Lord willing, next month about our relationship with Him and walking that out on a daily basis. But um, every once in a while, in our case, every three years, uh, talking about some non-essential things that I feel like are still important to talk about, even if we don't agree on them. Uh, Because a lot of times, these non-essential things can be stumbling blocks for people in their faith and in their uh, really embracing of Jesus. And I want to, best we can, move away stumbling blocks that would keep people from getting close to Jesus or staying close to Jesus uh, or, or finding him to begin with. Uh, let me read, this is Jesus' last prayer. I'll start with this. Um, John 17, Jesus is his last prayer, really his last words, or close to his last words before he dies. And then, of course, he's resurrected. But he says his prayer, John 17, 22, the glory which you have given me, he's praying to his Father, I have given to them, I've given them glory that they may be one. There's a glory given to us that we may be one. Just as we are one. So there's a unity that Jesus has with his Father that we are supposed to have among ourselves. It's part of what Jesus' prayer is, a desire. What he paid for is a unity for us. When I came in, before I came in the room today, I was up, my office is up second level outside there. And I, for a moment, just looked over the, the, the railing and was watching what you were just doing a few minutes ago, all these people just talking and fellowshipping and enjoying one another. And man, my heart just, I'm just smiling, up there smiling. Because there's something so beautiful when people get along and there's a unity, right? When there's a unity and the love for one another. I mean, that is what, that's how Jesus said, that's how the world is gonna know, right? That we're followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. We love each other. That's attractive. Uh, people are in all kinds of groups and everything trying to search for something where they, they can be loved. And we have that. That is the body of Christ. We are supposed to have that. Okay. I in them, Jesus prays, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Some sort of perfection in unity. That's interesting. Not perfection in theology. Perfection in unity right? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved, excuse me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they may, that they also whom you have given me be with me wherever I am so that they may see my glory, which you've given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus's prayer is for us to love each other. And, uh, Obviously, live in him. John 15 talks about abiding in him, living in him, seeing ourselves 
Is this no longer Matt who lives, but it's Christ that now lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for me, who rose again for me, who loves me. Right? So that is Jesus' prayer. So I want to talk some about both essentials and non-essentials today. Uh, I like to use the Moravian motto, which is powerful. It's a beautiful thing. It says, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. That's a beautiful thing, too. In all things, love. In all things, love. Let's love people always, regardless of if they agree with me. If they agree with you. In all things, love. If it's a non-essential, there's liberty. If it's essential, okay, I am going to hold my ground on this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is the Son of God, right? Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the one who ransomed me. I was born into sin and a sinner, and Jesus paid for my sin. He removed it. He forgave me. I received him. We want to agree on who Jesus is in all those different ways. But then we can talk about some of these non-essentials too. And we always want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. You guys know what I mean by that, right? It's very similar to essentials and non-essentials. There are the majors and the minors. Anytime a minor becomes a major, there will be division and disunity. We'll get off track. If you major on a minor thing, Now, I've done that sometimes in my life, to be honest, and it causes division. You've probably seen that. Maybe you've done that as well. It causes division. It's not a good thing. And then anytime a major becomes a minor, there's sin, deception, and usually leaving of faith. So these things have to stay in their places. The major things, the essentials, the minors things, the non-essentials. We don't want to flip-flop them. And then we want to have liberty for the minors, the things that we don't all agree on. But this has been a problem. Sounds really easy as I've just been talking about it. We all agree on that. But it has been an issue throughout time, throughout church history, from the time of Jesus and probably way before that, that people will disagree on some non-essential things and they'll fight each other over them. And those fights have turned into wars and sometimes they've turned into killing and murder in disassociation and speaking evil of one another. I mean, literally killing one another. We've seen that throughout history. I think in part, not in whole, but in part, the over 30,000 denominations that we have on the planet have come from minor disagreements, right? So I'm going to disagree. You like to, um, you know, you like to dip your bread in the drink when you take communion. And I don't, so I'm starting a new church because we're going to do it this way over here, right? Those type of things have happened throughout history. Disagreements over those type of things. Um, I mean, it gets down to hairdos and clothes and makeup. And instead of just appreciating differences, unfortunately, throughout time, we've thrown away, or people have thrown away certain groups, other people, and this ought, these things ought not be. Um, that's called an unhealthy family. And that's the opposite of Jesus' prayer. He's praying, no, 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 no. Let's not disassociate ourselves from one another because of these small things. Let's, let's find the common ground, agree on these things, love one another. There's no reason that uh, we should break relationship with people because of disagreements on minor, non-essential things. How about if we all agreed to that right now? I am not going to throw someone away, disassociate myself from another believer. When I see them in the grocery store and they go to a different church because they believe slightly differently than I do, I'm not going to turn the other way and avoid them because we have a disagreement on a minor issue. That is called immaturity and it's dysfunctional family. I should be able to embrace anyone, especially believers in Jesus, and not cause disagreements to separate. 
It's not okay to throw someone, someone away. That is not okay. Or to cancel them in our common culture. You cancel them because they don't agree with you. That is not the kingdom. So here's, of course, I mentioned this already, but some of the, one of the essentials is who Jesus is, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection. He is the way to the Father. He came down to the earth as the Messiah, the Son of God in the form of the Son of Man. Came to have first place in everything. Jesus wants first place in everything, not a percentage. That's a great thing, though. We get to do that. We get to give him our all as he's given us his all. He paid for my sin. He's the one who addressed sin head on. Paid for it with his own blood and life, ransoming you and I. We get to be cleansed by him, find our identity in him, live in him, have our being in him. He came to give us life abundantly. Thank you, Jesus. Our life is about focusing on Jesus, living in him, for him. How do I grow in him? How do I take on him more? How can my life be aligned even better with him? And this relationship grows so strong. It is so much about relationship with Jesus. I want to, you never say that enough. Because you can have some bits and snippets of theology set in a certain way. And if something goes awry, then everything falls apart. That should never happen. Because of our relationship with Jesus is paramount. If I am abiding in him, then it doesn't matter if there's some other belief that's a minor thing that's maybe different than what someone else said, I'm not gonna lose what I have with him. Are you kidding me? I'm not walking away. I'm not leaving him. But that has happened so much and it's happening today with many, many people. Again, this is one reason why I wanna talk about some of this. There are many who are, uh, been a popular thing, I'd never heard of it before maybe 10 years ago, um, of deconstructing of faith. You guys heard a lot of that about that lately? People who are deconstructing their faith. So they're raised in church maybe, or they have certain beliefs, and then they come to a point and they go, I mean, I'm not so sure about that. So they start deconstructing and taking the parts off, trying to find the real. Now, I'm okay with that if it's deconstructing, you're removing religious man-made traditions. Right, but when you start taking Jesus out and now no longer believe in him, there's a big problem. Right, So I have done a lot of deconstructing in the sense of I'm far less religious than I used to be. Religious meaning that I had these forms and traditions that I thought were the only way that God maybe did things or uh, ways of behaving, combing my hair a certain way, you know, things like that. I can peel those things off, traditions of men, as they would be called. It's okay to peel those off where this is about relationship with Jesus. But deconstruction to the point where you throw all of Christianity away, don't believe in God, this is a major problem. That's not, that's not deconstructing, that's blowing this up and losing your faith. And it makes me wonder if you ever really had a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus to begin with. Because how could you ever throw this away? what we have in him. But if we don't have this and we just have this, that thing can get all messed up. If it's just a brain thing, if we're just following him because this makes sense and this doesn't, you haven't had an encounter, an exchange, of an experience with Jesus. It's not just having a mental like knowledge of him, but an emotional, mental, whole being I am his, he is mine, he lives inside of me. Amen. He has saved me. That's completely different. And you and I all need that. And if you don't have that, I would encourage you to get that. Because he's seeking you and wants you. And you won't find anything else out there that will satisfy. We're just saying about that. There's nothing else that will satisfy. And Jesus really wants to move on in to lead and to be God on the inside of us. Not to make us that, not as an add-on, not as a percentage. He wants to be the one that is in us. My decisions from here on out are about him and what he wants and his will. 
That's his desire. And he's knocking on doors of hearts, saying, will you let me come in and do this? I wanna not only take away your sin, but I want to give you what I have. Amazing, this relationship. Gotta have relationship with him. So last week I talked about uh, some of the six days of creation. And as, as it had been taught me all growing up my entire life, they were six literal days, 24 hour periods. And that's just the way that I always had thought until maybe 15, 20 years ago, I say. Um, even though the sun and the moon weren't created on until day four, so we didn't have a 24-hour clock to even use until day four into creation. I hadn't seen that before. I didn't see, and I mentioned last week, that the word day is the word yom in Hebrew, which is four different meanings, and one of them happens to be an age or an epoch, a, a time frame that's undetermined. And that made sense to me then that it could be, not saying that it absolutely is, but it could be that these days were a long day or an age that God was doing his creation of dinosaurs and whatever. Not that it had to do it that way. And then when I looked at day six, I saw, goodness sakes, a lot of stuff happened on day six. And this 24-hour period, which now has day and night, so let's say 12 hours of daytime, that all of the cattle and the beasts of the field all were created, and then man was created, and then God taught him language and relationship enough where he then took him and had him name every animal on the planet, including the fish and the birds. Then God said, this is, yeah, this is not a suitable helper for him, not a great partner for him, so I need to make one, so it puts you to sleep. I don't know how long that surgery was. <laughs> and out of him, from a rib, was formed a woman. Yes, amen. <laughs> the culmination of creation was this woman. And then they are together. And all of that happened on day six. And again, if they were three, if they were 24-hour periods, every, everything that grew to give them food wasn't, didn't happen until day three. So in two days... Everything had to grow and produce fruit for them to eat something. So I started to think, you know, it's possible that these days could be God kind of day, which says in the Bible that to God a day is, if, is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, or a watch in the night, which is three hours. So to God a day could be a thousand years or a watch in the night. So all those things started to work on me and I realized, wait a minute, I have, whenever I've shared the gospel with someone and we got to any type of question related to the beginning and how things may have started, you know, I'm shoving God into this box of 24 hour periods that he's got to do stuff and the earth is only 6,000 years old and it's just it. So if you don't buy into that, you know, you can't buy into everything else with Jesus. And I realized, wait a minute, what if really these days were elongated? What if God didn't fit into my thinking and perhaps there's another way? So yes, he could, do, he could have done it quickly in 24-hour periods each day of creation. He's the God of the impossible. He could make things look old. He could have done that right at the beginning. But he also could have done the other. And just having that liberty to see both ways keeps some people from stumbling over a certain way that you better believe this. And right now during a lot of people deconstructing, I had someone share with me after the service last week that they have heard someone deconstruct publicly who was a Christian and is now denying their faith entirely. And one of the stumbling blocks for them was, were these days of creation. So they decided to throw everything away, which no one ever should, but they decided to throw everything away because of this staunch belief that it had to happen this way. So, I think we need to have liberty and give one another liberty. I'm gonna ask that you give me liberty as I will give you liberty to disagree 
on different things if it's non-essential. You give me that? I'll give you that too. You can disagree with me. You can send me those emails. That's okay. It is. It is okay. Let's, let's have some, we can debate and we can say, what do the scriptures say? and What do they don't say? Um, I found in the Bible that we have much more permission than we have rules. But again, that is a religious tradition that says there are many more rules than permission, so you just live in between the lines. But you see that Jesus came to set free, to bring liberty, right? Now, there are clearly things we're not supposed to do. I'm not saying blur those lines or move them or change them at all. Those are very clear. But if life turns into about being about rules, then what I've done is I've adopted a religious way of living into my life that is separate from the life of Jesus. I would rather follow the life of Jesus and have him flowing through me and then allow his spirit to convict me when I do wrong and when I sin or when I see something in here and go, whoop, I don't need to be doing that. Please forgive me, Lord. I have sinned. But I don't want to just have an, if, I'm a firstborn, okay? And sometimes firstborns, they like perfection. They like to plan. They like to check the boxes off. They like to, you know, it's just do it the right way. In fact, and I am this way in some ways, and Jesus hasn't changed me yet. Like, I'm the one, I do most of the dishes at our house in the evening, okay? So if someone else does it, and the dishwasher is not loaded the right way. I redo it. Because to me, there is a good, a much better way to wash these dishes than other people think. I'm owning that. That is how I am, and I will do that. I don't know when. It just, it bothers me when it's not done right. Okay, but that's, a, that's dishes. Can we disagree in, on that one and, and agree to disagree? Okay, yes. That's a non-essential, big time. Okay, I didn't mean to go there. We're just. <laughs> so let's talk about another. Wow, no, just on the end of this last one. You know, interesting, when you look at the six days of creation, it talks about the seventh day, which I didn't talk about last week. On the seventh day, it says, and God did what? He rested. On every one of the other days, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, at the end of what God did, it says, and there was evening and there was morning, day one. There was evening and there was morning, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Then it says, on day seven, God rested. It doesn't say there was an end of a day. As if his rest continues on the creation side of things. And then he gives mankind, which he just made the previous day, dominion over the earth. He gives them power. He gives them authority to rule and to reign, to multiply and take dominions. One of the main callings of mankind after creation was to take dominion on the earth, cultivate it, do stuff, do stuff. Here's the earth, it's yours. Don't eat this one tree. That's the only line I, I'm, I'm circling this tree, saying don't go across that line. Other than that, do some stuff. Permission. Take dominion. And then we find New Testament. I found this interesting. I just saw this today, actually. Jesus is in a boat sleeping. It's the only reference that I can find where Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the boat in the middle of what? A storm, a nasty storm, a storm where people are thinking we're going to die type of storm, hurricane level type. And it's at that moment that God is resting. <laughs> now that is bizarre in one way. The disciples are freaking out. They are freaking out. They think they are going to die. They wake up Jesus, sleeping God, wake up. And they said this to him, do you not care that we are about to die? Imagine saying that to God. Don't you care 
that I'm gonna die? Don't you care that I'm about to die? And Jesus gets up. And he says to them, he rebukes them, he says, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Now that to me is indicating that Jesus had an expectation that after he'd given them power and authority and sent them out to do stuff, that they would do stuff. (laughs) And if they saw something that was really wrong and there was fear released and they were about to die, that they should do something about it and not just wake him up. That's interesting to me. I think that should be to all of us. In fact, it says in Romans 8, that the earth, the whole earth, is waiting eagerly, expectantly for the sons of God to be revealed. That the earth is, this is scripture, this is, I'm not making this up. The earth is waiting for the sons of God, those that God created, that he made, that he gave dominion, then he restored dominion after they gave it away, and restored through Jesus, through the resurrection, gave us the spirit of God, Daniel said it this way, in the end days, those who know their God will display strength and take action. They will, those who know, if you know God, you will do a couple of things. Daniel prophesies. You'll display strength and you're gonna take action. You're gonna do some stuff. We're not just gonna rely on, we're gonna die, God, do something. There is something that has been put inside of us by the spirit of God to take action. I think it's to find dark places and jump in the middle of them, be light. It's to ask God for creative ideas, to change something. It's to, t- to go into a career where you can make a difference in the world. It's to ask God for inventions. It's to serve so well and to love so well. It's to give to the poor and where there's injustice, to find a place to bring justice. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what the Lord desires of you, to walk humbly before God, right? But to do justice, to love mercy, but do justice. Don't clamor to receive it. We can can get all tied in knots. I am not getting justice. I need it. God says to do it. Make sure others have it. Do stuff. That would be the Matt Peterson translation of our calling in the world, in the earth. From what Jesus said and what God said to Adam and Eve. Do stuff. Don't just wait for me. Don't just wake me up. Okay, so that leads to, took me a long time to get here. Another non-essential, I would say, although it is on the edge, and it's something I've heard again a lot throughout my growing up years, uh, I've heard it, I hear it uh, maybe weekly, and it's this phrase, God is in control. So whatever bad thing happens, whatever good thing happens, whatever happens, oh, God is in control, brother. And that, to me, I want to just address for a second. Though I understand the heart behind it, and maybe we've all said it. I'm sure I have. But one of the reasons why I want to address this is because with that mentality entirely, then what that can be implying is that God is controlling everything that's going on here. So every time someone is raped, murdered, killed, every evil that's going on, God's in control. He's he's causing this to take place. And that to me is an affront to the nature of God and who God is. And it also is the opposite of what he said for us to do, right? He's given us some stuff to do. Share the gospel, make disciples, and a whole lot of other things. And so I think it's fair for people to have this question also, just like they have questions about the days of creation. I'll talk to people as well, and they'll say, if your God is this God of control, he's everything's in control, he's he's God at all, then why? Have you ever been asked that question? Then why is this thing happening over here? Then why is that happening over here? Then why all these things? If your God is the God of love, then why? Because I'm seeing a lot of mess. And so sometimes this can be a stumbling block for people even embracing God. 
because of these things they're saying. So what kind of God is this you're serving? Right? Then that's a problem. So I think it's a, a fair question for them. So part of this has come from Calvinistic teaching. I'm just going to say that. And some of the teachings there that formed a lot of theology related to the elect and predestination and God just chose you to be bad, you to be good, it doesn't matter. And if he chose you to be good, then he has this irresistible grace so there's no way you can say no. But you, on the other hand, <laughs> that is part of a Christian teaching that has gone on for hundreds of years. How many of you grew up in churches like that? We have some. Lifting your hand really sheepishly. <laughs> but, so let me talk about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty, see, God is sovereign. Due to his nature, he is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's all-powerful, nothing is too difficult for him. He can do anything. We talked last week about the universe fits in his hand, though it might be 13 billion years, I mean, old and huge with 100 trillion billion stars or something like that. He is large and he's outside of time. He can, he can do anything. But the nature of God and what he's chosen to do is different than his sovereignty. Like, I should say this, with his sovereignty, he has chosen to do things a certain way. Though he could do anything, he has even put, this is so interesting, like um, guidelines upon himself related to his creation, you and I. When he created mankind, he could have easily made them a robot. You will serve me, you will worship. Now, he could have done it that way easily. If you and I were God, we may do it that way. But thankfully, we're not. And God is God, and he gave mankind free will Whew. to choose. He even gave the other creatures he made, the angelic beings and some of the sons of God that are referred to in the scriptures in Genesis that speak of all the other hosts that are up there that we don't know nothing about. They have free will. Everything he's made that I know of has free will to choose what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. Now, in that rebellion, there's consequences to rebellion and doing the wrong thing, all that. But amazing that God has given us this free will. So in his sovereignty, which is different than him being in control, he chose to give ownership, free will, and to choose to allow us to choose. He's, that's what he did. We can see that throughout the scriptures. And I do that as a parent, by the way. Don't you? I mean, you don't make every one of your children do everything and think every thought that they need to be thinking, or if they don't, they're getting in trouble. And if they, you're not controlling their every move and their every decision. That would be exhausting. And that would not be relational. And I want my kids to love me because they want to love me. Not because I'm forcing them to. See, God is not the God of coercion. Oh, I'm so glad. He's not the God of coercion. He's the God of the invitation. He invites. It's his nature all along the way. Psalm 24, verse one. Let me give you some scriptures. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. It's his. He's sovereign. He made it. And then you look at Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth, yes, he's made it and it's his, he's given to the sons of men. Whew, what a gift. Do you realize that? The earth has been given to us. Not that he's distant, not that he is hands off, but he's given us the earth, put us here, and said, let's partner. Let's do some stuff together here. I'm giving you dominion over this. 
but I, and I will help you. Pray to me. I will answer you. Ask me for direction. But there's a partnership. It's not just this is his, hands off. I don't do anything here. I'm either gonna be a believer or a non-believer. I'm either gonna sin or I'm not gonna sin. I don't know. That's, I, I really believe you look at throughout the scriptures that it is not that way. John 10, 10. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this is Oftentimes for me, an answer when people see, talk about the evil that's going on in the earth and saying, so your God of control is doing all these things. Jesus himself says, the devil's job, his MO, his fingerprints are to steal, kill, and destroy. So if the, any of those three things are going on on the earth, that is what the devil does, not what God does. The rest of that verse says, Jesus said, and I came to give life abundantly. The opposite of those three things. Here's what the devil does, here's what I do. If there's killing, destroying, stealing going on, I'm putting that in the enemy's bailiwick. This is his arena, this is his sphere of operation. The earth God has given to the sons of men. In God's sovereignty, he could, have, he could control every single thing, but instead he gives away and says, let's, let's partner together. And if we could see that how he's placed us here and the things and the purposes he's given us to do here, my goodness sakes, we would realize that we have some things to do before he returns. We've got some gospel to share. We've got some partnership with him to make. We have his spirit to move through us in ways. We have some songs to sing that haven't been sung yet. We've got some love to give away. We've got some justice to give before he returns. We have things to do. Also, here's a passage in the New Testament about God's desire for people, his love for people. In addition to John 3.16, when God loved the world and gave Jesus to us, 1 Timothy 2, verse three and four says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, how many? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many people do, does God wanna see saved? All. He wants every person to come to the knowledge of the truth. He loves every person. Will all choose him? No. Will all receive that invitation? No. But he desires that every person would come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that everybody would be saved. I can't make it, I can't make everybody choose the right way, but what I can do is share the invitation that he's given with them and let them choose, let them decide. I love that Jesus is that way. I love that God is that way. So I don't believe, and again, you can disagree with me, that God is controlling every single thing going on here. I believe he's given us this earth and he's given us free will and he has a way to live and he has a plan and he has the blueprints and he's given us his spirit, but he's not enabling the murderers to do the murdering. He's not the one pulling the strings on that. Man, mankind, there are consequences to what we choose and how we're gonna live and the sin that we participate in. So that's, that's my thing there, all right? Okay, let me try and hit this one more. I'm gonna switch to another non-essential that I feel like is also the way that I grew up. This was, and this has to do with alcohol. Uh, again, non-essential. The way I grew up, alcohol was in one category, and that was evil, uh, along with playing cards, dancing, watching movies, and several other things. Now, that was my growing up. Anybody have a similar growing up to that? A few. So, as I go on in life, and then I went into the government, 
and I've never touched alcohol, and I am in another country, I was, and I'm in this meeting with this guy, a high-up government official, and I was invited to his house. So I'm at his house, and as I walk in the door, um, he hands me a glass of wine. And uh, with pride, and with, um, I would say, just a, just so anxious to show me this. This is wine that he really enjoyed. He handed me this wine as I walk in the house. And I'm his guest. And I'm thinking, now what do I do? Because I can feel this is important to him. And I don't drink. In fact, I might go straight to hell if I drink this. <laughs> That's what's going on inside of me. So I'm stuck. I don't want to dishonor him, and I can feel this. So I thought, me, I'll just take a sip. So I take a sip, and I take another sip. It's like, oh. I was not a wine connoisseur. I could not appreciate this. <laughs> My boss, who was with me, leans over, and he knows I don't drink. And he said, in this culture, Matt, if you don't finish wine they give you, it's the same as saying you're leaving your problems in his house when you leave. So I finish it. I didn't enjoy it, but I finished it. As soon as I finished it, with joy, he grabs his another bottle <laughs> and pours me another big glass, and this is what he made over the winter. This is his homemade wine, who he wants me to then say how much better his homemade wine is versus this really nice bottle that of this glass that I just had. Now I'm really stuck. And plus, I haven't eaten. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Honestly, I'm struggling. My faith is struggling. So I start to drink it. He tells me, I, I don't want to leave my problems in his house. <laughs> so I finish that one. And I feel for the first time in my life a little, little lightheaded. I'm 26 years old, maybe 25. Anyway, as I left there, I felt this horrible condemnation, this horrible condemnation that I've just done everything against what the Bible says in God's heart. And I've tried to live my, my life up to that point of honoring the Lord with my body and my life. I'm not going to defile it and all of those things. I'm a virgin. Never touched a deck of cards. <laughs> Crazy stuff. The traditions of men are nuts. Do you know that? Some of the religious stuff. And I was, that's what I was living under. Thankfully, I, I realized, and you'll hear me talk about this when I, we do the new members class, Psalm 119, verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. So anytime any person or any group builds a doctrine on one verse, it's going to be a wrong doctrine, right? We need the sum of the word. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, may a thing be established, is another passage, right? And so we're looking at the sum of the word, not one verse, and then take it out of context and then bring a, build a whole tradition or a doctrine out of it. That's craziness, and that's happened a thousand times or more. And so... When I read this, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 15. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's eliminated? The Passion Translation is more clear on what that means. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile a man. The things that I say are worse than the things that I drink. In in. Jesus' vernacular here. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanderers. These are things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands, was the context here, does not defile a man. Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink 
or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are merely a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. He's the essential. 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul says to Timothy, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, of course, as I grew up in church, and you probably did, well, if you grew up in the same kind I did, it was never wine anyway. If they're saying it was wine, it really meant grape juice. <laughs> Even though it wasn't till Dr. Welch in the early 1900s who came up with grape juice. Everything else, it was from the grape, guess what? It was fermented, yes, it, it had some kick to it. Psalm 104, verse 14, he, speaking of God, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for the labor of man, so that we may, excuse me, so that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine, that God may bring forth wine, which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. What? Throw that scripture away. Um, <laughs> that's what I used to do. You ever pick through the scriptures and throw some away? That's what I used to do here. Skip right over that one. We're not talking about that. He must have missed it and understood the Lord when he was writing that down. And then the first miracle of Jesus. The first miracle of Jesus. It's about 180 gallons of water, 180 gallons. That's a lot <laughs> of water that Jesus turned into, not grape juice, turned into wine after they'd already been drinking. Now that's fascinating to me. So as a Christian, then I either throw all these scriptures away and say, I'm holding to the tradition, this is evil, I'm going to hell if you drink it, to wait a minute, let's look at what the Bible says. Now, here's what else the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be drunk with wine. Wine's a mocker, you find, in the Proverbs. So there's a balance here that we're not to be drunk with wine, yet God created it for enjoyment. Interesting. At the same time, if people have struggled, my grandfather was one of them. He was an alcoholic. Uh, as my mom said, he wrecked every car they ever had. It caused a lot of problems in their family. If there's alcoholism, if there's addiction related to that, I say, you should not drink wine at all. Probably for the rest of your life. And that is perfectly okay. But there's, again, liberty if you're not an alcoholic to have a glass of wine. Now, that, was, that would be earth-shaking the way that I grew up. Yet, I think it is very clear in the scriptures, this is okay and, and to everything, every single one of these things. Romans chapter eight says this. If you're a son of God, a daughter of God, you're led by the spirit of God. So where something isn't clearly spoken of in the Bible, this is wrong, do not do that. And there are several of those. Fornication, Adultery, stealing, lying, all those things, except for there's another context of lying, which I can talk about on another day to save other people's lives. Um, then we're not supposed to do those things. But there's liberty, there's freedom to say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And then do that. Uh, it could be, uh, we have vaccines right now for the COVID. So, Holy Spirit, do you want me to take this? I'm gonna follow you. If it's yes, then I'm gonna do it. If it's no, then I'm not gonna do it. So I'm following him. And my decision for myself isn't for everybody else to be their decision. That's why I said there, do not judge one another related to food or drink or anything. Don't judge them. Let them follow the Holy Spirit. Unless the Bible says very clearly, no, don't do this then there's freedom, then there's liberty. And I think liberty and freedom is a very good thing. Again, if there's any addiction, should not be doing that. Um, all right, I think that's enough for today. Are we all right? All that makes sense? So let's stay with liberty. Let's follow the Lord. Let's follow the Holy Spirit. One last thing. 
Sometimes the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will allow you to do something he doesn't allow me to do. That's because this is individual. This is relationship with him. This, sometimes there's leadership type things that I cannot participate in or do that maybe other people have license to. Um, I, and that's just, that's just the way it is. But again, let's not judge one another. Let's follow the Holy Spirit in what he is doing. All right? So, Lord, thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for, oh, I love the fall. Thank you for this season. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the liberty you have given to us. Thank you for the freedom in the spirit. Thank you for the freedom in the scriptures that you've given to us. Thank you for the relationship with you, that we get to know you, that we get to have you, that we get to follow you, that we get to have time with you. We get to explore the wonders of who you are. Lord, we want you to have first place in everything in our lives. Everything in our lives. That we don't live for ourselves, but we live for you. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Show us. If there's something you don't like, Holy Spirit, that we're doing, show us so we can stop that, repent of it, change it, get rid of it, give it to you. Anything that offends you in thought, in deed, in behavior, in action, Holy Spirit, show us. We want to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we would be those that know you and take action. That we would see ourselves as those that you live within and want to do great things through. Lord, show us the justice to give, the poor to feed and help, the bound to set free, those that need healing to be healed, those that need words of life to be encouraged. Things that you want us to start, Lord, I ask you to put it in our hearts and our minds and our dreams. Show us how to start them. We give our lives to you, our bodies to you, our minds to you. Continue to change us more and more into your image every day, from glory to glory, day to day. And Lord, I ask you to free us all from anything that's stuck to us that is not you. Just continue to get all those things off. We want to be so centered, focused, grounded, mature in you. Mature son and daughter that lives fully alive on this planet, following you. We love you, Lord. We give you this day and the rest of this week, or this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right. So we've got some tea. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.